It is Monday, January 31st. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Real Talk. It's Ryan Jesperson here with you. All hands on deck this morning. Samuel Brooks with me in studio. Sarah Hoyles producing this show from her home studio, so to speak. We've got a lot to talk about today. An amazing weekend at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, our inaugural tournament, raising $50,000 for charity. We're going to share a few highlights. Something happened there, though. We had a medical incident there and a remarkable result and i'm going to tell you that story and then i'm going to introduce you to one of a few heroes that showed up when they showed up that's more that morning that saturday morning when they showed up on january 29th lacing up their skates i don't think they knew they were going to be tapped on the shoulder called into action outside of a hockey context but boy did they deliver and I'm going to introduce you to somebody that was there at that tournament. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Ottawa, as you know, has been taken over from this so-called Freedom Convoy. We'll get into that story. The blockade on the U.S.-Canada border south of Lethbridge. There's a lot going on there right now. People are calling on elected officials to step up, uh, to implement, or to enforce legislation that was created for this exact type of thing interruptions to supply chains to essential infrastructure so to speak so why doesn't alberta's premier appear to be taking this border blockade seriously aside from a statement joe rogan has stepped up and released a a 10-minute video he says hey listen i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist this after blowback against spotify where his podcast is exclusively available We'll dig into that story, plus some great interviews today. We're very much looking forward to getting into this. You know, people talk about 911 calls relating to mental health. They're saying perhaps, you know, with respect to what police do on the job, maybe they shouldn't be responding to every mental health call, to every 911 call. What if we could divert those to appropriate social services? Well, at least three Canadian cities are doing that. And we're going to check in Toronto, Calgary, Red Deer. Calgary's pilot program kicks off today, tomorrow. We're going to get into the details and why they're doing that, why they're changing that tone And we're also going to be talking about some of the stories that people have been focusing on, of course, over the weekend, the the stories that are making news today. We always want to be up to the minute on this show and let you know, of course, what's going on all around us. We want you to be the smartest person in your friend's circle. That's our goal. And that probably starts with if you have any questions about Bitcoin, you want to make sure you check in with the team at Bitcoin. Well, they're our presenting sponsor. Amazing to see Team Bitcoin well out at the Pond Hockey Classic on Saturday. Not only did they bring a full team, they brought a whole bunch of fans. Veteran move by CEO Adam O'Brien. He knew what to do, Sam. The minute that he walked onto the grounds, onto the property, he secured the bench closest to the bonfire. I thought this is not their first pond hockey tournament. They know what's going on. Bitcoin Well is where I go if I have questions in person or online. If you have questions about Bitcoin, you can always find them right at the top under the sponsors page on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. As mentioned, a sold-out Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic on Saturday out at Larry Alexiak Field in St. Albert. 30 teams showing up for a great cause to celebrate being outdoors, to celebrate that that activity, to celebrate the sounds and, and even the smells. Had a bunch of burgers down there. I mean, the sights that come with the ODR, the outdoor rink, pond hockey, and of course, what better day to do it than hockey day in Canada? 
we had uh, such an amazing opportunity. And Sam, let's just run through a whole bunch of these photos. I'm so grateful for Larissa Mack photography. She was down there. A real talker by the name of Chris Sturwald was down there with his camera too. check that out. Sturwald gets me an action shot. I've got I think I got my new profile photo that he got me just at the right time that it makes it look like I know what I'm doing. There he is. The drummer, by the way, for Ayla Brooke and the sound men. You hear their music on our show every day. So we get together. Puck drop goes at about 10 o'clock. That was after an official welcome from her worship, the mayor of St. Albert, Kathy Heron, and then Oilers anthem singer Robert Clark kicks us off with an amazing rendition of O Canada. And then we go a full day of pond hockey from 10 to about six o'clock. That's the team from Park Power. The Park Power Players, they called themselves. Chris Kozowski, the CEO there, he goes, get it? He goes, Power Players? I go, why wouldn't you name yourself the Park Power Plugs? I said, that's a way better hockey. The Park Power Plugs. He goes, well, maybe we'll have to register two teams next year. So we'll see what happens there. But everybody comes together. Obviously, a ton of fun. Kids, young and old, adults. And and as we keep showing you these photos, I mean, you can see, you can pick up from the photos what a great time we had. That's the team Lenny and the Jets. We had guys coming up from Calgary and Cochrane coming in from from out of town. Our Drossen, that team was made up all over the place. This is the Cardinal family. So proud. They're the owners of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton. Amazing to have them in the house Supporting this, Mark Cardinal has been a big part of this hockey tournament for years, even before Real Talk got involved. Check this out. The Strain family down there proudly flying the flag for the Canadian Progress Club of St. Albert. Craig Strain did an amazing job pulling all of this together. Grateful for the sponsorships that were there. Molson Canadian, our presenting sponsor. Those are our friends at St. Albert Dodge that were in the house. A whole bunch of Real Talk sponsors were there, and, and we sure appreciate their support. The day is going unbelievable. It's like, I mean, really, the only problem we had, the only potential problem that we had through the, the beginning in, the, in, the, in sort of the mid stages of this tournament was that the weather was too nice and the ice kind of started getting just a tiny little bit soft. Uh, that's Jim Watt there with his daughter. Great to have Jim not only sponsoring with Angus Watt Advisory Group, but bringing the family out as well. They had a great time. I could tell by the smiles smeared across their face. Here's my team. Every day we're buffling. Uh, I thought that I put together a team of ringers. I thought we were winning this thing. We got pumped. We got pumped all day long. (laughs) The caliber of hockey at this Pond Hockey Classic was really amazing. It's okay. We took a few on the chin, but that was fine. So the day's going absolutely unbelievable. The day's going fantastic. It's mid-afternoon. I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock. And all of a sudden, we're getting ready for the next round. You know, we'll say puck drops. There's there's five or six sheets of ice. And so every 12 to 15 minutes or so, another game starts, right? Puck drop, 12.48, 12, whatever time it is. And we're just warming up and we're skating around. And all of a sudden, I see uh, one of the volunteers that was there was St. John Ambulance just running across the ice surface, full tilt, running across the ice surface to get to the ambulance. And we figure, oh, no, I got somebody probably took a puck to the face. You know, somebody's probably fallen. Maybe somebody hit their head. Heaven forbid. Who knows? It's why you have volunteers there. It's why you have a St. John ambulance there. It's why you have these these things in place. So I thought, well, as the organizer is, you know, one of the sponsors of the tournament, I better kind of just skate over. You don't want to be a, a gawker. You don't want to sort of create a crowd problem around a medical incident. But I wanted to make sure that if the person had taken a puck to the teeth or whatever it was that they were being appropriately cared for. And I'm skating and over and I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. I just get chills right now as I'm talking to you about it. I come around the corner and the very first thing I see is a big guy, maybe about six foot three. Sam, can you show us the photo of team local waste? You know, the one that I'm talking about. So I see this guy wearing the orange jersey. He's the guy on the right in this photo. That's Colton Southwick. And uh, that's Chris Gadbois beside him. And Colton was uh, kneeling over. 
another player, a player from the opposite team, doing full-blown chest compression. CPR was underway on a player on the ice, and I'm and I have chills running up and down my spine right now as I tell you this. I said, "What's happening?" I'm talking to one of the tournament organizers, and everyone's kind of in shock. And they said, "I don't know. It's, he's like a young guy." Obviously, we're not going to betray any sort of privacy things here. We're not going to speculate on what the medical incident was, but there was somebody. My estimation is 35 to 40 years old on his back and out. They told me that he was purple. They told me that there was some foam coming out of his mouth. He was not breathing. He was unresponsive and CPR was underway. Now, one of the things about team local waste is we were lucky enough that Chris Gadbois that was on that team is an off duty firefighter. And so right away, he knew what he was doing. He was calling the shots. Colton was just doing an amazing job on CPR. And boy, were we ever lucky as well to have an ICU nurse. She was off duty, but an ICU nurse, they're playing in our tournament. So, of course, one of the skaters astutely thinking ripped over to the ice service where she was and said, you're up. We need you right now. Not only was Noel Appleby an ICU nurse with experience at the busiest emergency department in Western Canada at Edmonton's Royal Alexandra Hospital, but she's also on the cardiac and respiratory arrest response team, which means that when these calls of cardiac arrest occur anywhere in the hospital, Nicole is on the team that responds. This is what she does. They hustled. They got an AED, a defibrillator, onto this young guy. Now, keep in mind, the defibrillator will not fire if the heart is functioning. It's too smart to do it. It fired. This guy's heart was stopped on the ice. And I am so grateful to tell you that slowly but surely, this guy came back. And his eyes slowly started to open. And ultimately, in what is described to me by firefighters off duty that were on the ice that day the first time in their careers the first time in their lives they have ever seen this the guy gets up after an appropriate period of time after he had stabilized and walked himself to the ambulance a remarkable scenario now, you can imagine what happened at the tournament after that. I mean, it had been silent for an hour. People are emotional for obvious reasons. When that guy got into the ambulance on his feet, conscious and aware, you can imagine what 150 sticks tapping on the ice at the same time sounds like. The euphoria that set in after that, people celebrating life and time together and personal relationships. I mean, it infused something into that venue like I have never experienced in my life. And for the rest of my life, I will owe a debt of gratitude to Chris and Colton who were there and to Noel, the ICU nurse who's kind enough to join us this morning live on the show. I told you on the ice that day, that was the first time I ever met you. I said, I feel like we've got a friendship on now like I've known you for 20 years. How have you wrapped your mind around what went down on Saturday? Uh, yeah. That was a good description of everything that happened. Obviously not, don't want to go into too much detail and protect a little bit of his privacy, but I am just honestly so impressed by all of the bystanders and the volunteers and everybody who responded so quickly, so perfectly. Everything was textbook. Everything was done better than perfect. And that's why he's doing so well. And that's why everything turned out the way it did is because you had people like Colton and other people who volunteered to help um, 
there was an anesthesiologist who actually works at the Royal Alex as well. And he was right in there, just a great team of people just responded so quickly and it was perfect. Noel, I I, uh, I skated up to you when when uh, things had sort of stabilized, and I'm not just talking about the patient. I'm not talking about one of that contestant that had a day. Obviously, that I mean his. Whew, I'm not going to get too into it, but I've I've been trying to walk in in his shoes, and of course, privately, we've been making contact and and ensuring that everything's okay and communicating with him. Um, uh, I, I can't imagine what a reset for your life. I mean, what, 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 uh, mentally and emotionally, I don't know how you wrap your mind around what he experienced. And it would certainly, I would imagine be a life changing event. He said something to you when he first regained consciousness. Would you share with us what he asked you, the question he asked you? Uh, do you remember <laughs> you told me he, he opened his eyes and he said, did I just die? Yeah. Yeah, he when he first regained consciousness, he was it was very slow. Obviously, it was slow and steady. And I think he was more so just in shock. Like you you wake up and there's a bunch of people surrounding you. You've got these pads. And so I think he was more in shock. But it was once we he was like able he just like he wanted to get up right away. And it was like, no, no, like we got to keep you down. We got to make sure you're actually OK before we let you get up. It's just a hockey guy. He just wants to get up. <laughs> That's a big, big strapping guy, big wide shoulders, young guy, um, you know, which was also how his team is doing. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And his team, the (laughs) the interesting thing he entered actually is, is if I understand the dynamic correctly, he'd entered the tournament as a single and he, and, and he had joined this team. His teammates didn't know him really aside from a couple of hours of skating together. And so they weren't sure about his medical history. They didn't quite understand, you know, whether this was unusual or not. Um, here's what I really want to get to. And I was, I was, uh, ashen with the blood out of my face and I'm talking to you, um, a a big part of your assignment, I suppose, after saving a life was to calm me down enough that I could get on the microphone and address the group. But I, I said something to you and your response to me was amazing. We're sitting around that bonfire and I go, gosh, this doesn't happen every day. And you go. Well, it kind of does. <laughs> this is this is par for the course for you. And we talked a little bit about what you already know, because you're a uh, an amazing supporter of this podcast and you listen to Real Talk all the time, which means a lot to me. But you know that last week we were talking about CPR and you know that I went on the record on the show saying it's actually surprising if you talk to first responders, how how infrequently CPR actually works that it rarely actually works, maybe five to 10% of the time. And I got this note from an ER nurse, an email. I read it on Friday's show. Her name is Allison. And she said, you can't be saying that. She said, you can't be communicating that CPR rarely works. She said, it's incredibly important. And there, the next day, we have an incident on the ice at our hockey tournament where you and the two others and many more jump in to save a life. Let's talk about CPR and let's talk about the general population needing to have at least the basic skills. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think that's the main message to kind of get across today is that I actually, I, of course I'm experienced in it. I actually didn't do CPR Mm -hmm. on Saturday. Yeah. I came by the time I was there, they had already stabilized him. They had already done CPR. They had already, shocked him um the saint john's volunteers and that firefighter they they did everything but it was bystanders it was just your average your average person who maybe has never done cpr before and they did wonderful cpr and i think the message to get across is it happens unfortunately these events these incidents happen and if you have cpr training even if you're you're just trying your best you don't have to do 
perfect CPR, any is better than none. And it was proven on Saturday. It was bystanders who maybe didn't have experience in CPR who did it perfectly. And yeah, I just, uh, it just goes to show in the community, you know, you sometimes people have jobs where they get CPR training and you're thinking well, like, am I ever going to use this? But you don't know when you will. And if you have the opportunity to, it, it really is a matter of life and death. And that's what happened. That individual was lucky enough to have bystanders who hopped in right away. Absolutely incredible. Before I thank you for your time, um, and, and I know that you've got uh, obviously more life-saving to do this week in the ICU at the Royal Alexandria. Let me ask you how you're holding up. I know for me, the big, huge lungfuls of fresh air on Saturday were such a welcome break from everything else that goes on, the stress and the anxiety that can come with these national news stories and and, and, and a two-year-long yeah. pandemic and everything else. How are you holding up? How are you and your colleagues holding up? I mean, you're, you're in the ICU. You're at ground zero right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long two years for sure. We... I will say, I think that I can speak for our team at the Alex. We have such a close team. It's more like a family. And so having such a close team to get through all this together has made the world of a difference. We're close. Our doctors, our physios, our respiratory therapists, we're all just, we're all just in it together and kind of getting through it. Um, But Saturday was fun getting out and just forgetting about the real world for a while and just playing hockey with a bunch of friends. And that was a ton of fun to get out there and just enjoy the beautiful day. And for a minute, it just didn't feel like we were in the depths of a pandemic. It just yeah. felt like it was an average good winter day, good Canadian winter day. Good Canadian so winter was, day. Yeah, it was, that was a ton, obviously minus that one hour. It was a ton of fun that day. And I think the things that we got to look forward to these days. I mean, I mean, it's it's such a you just nailed it. Um, I can't wait to see out there next year. Like like I said, with your permission, I'm just going to go ahead and consider you a tight friend now. Uh, I watched you and a few other people save somebody's life right in front of us. So uh, that pretty much earns my respect off the charts. And I'm so grateful uh, that the universe put you on the ice on Saturday. Noel, thanks for doing it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And amazing job to everyone. Even though the crowd that kind of backed off and yeah. gave us space, like every every single person there played a role and did incredible. So great job to everybody who was there. Unbelievable. That's ICU nurse and uh, hockey star Noelle Appleby. You can Google her, by the way. She's won some championships. She's kind of a big deal, actually. I got this email from Donna. This was this was before the tournament. Uh, Donna sent me this email shortly after we went off the air on Friday. I wonder if maybe she was prompted by the email from Allison that I read. And Donna said, after listening to your shows, Ryan, these past few shows, I felt that I should share a personal experience about the importance of knowing CPR. During my years of teaching, I always kept my first aid and my CPR current, assuming that if I ever had to help anybody, it would be a child. However, it turned out to be important, even closer to home. My parents at 85 and 88 years of age were finally moving from their farm home in Saskatchewan to a retirement home in Cochrane, Alberta. My dad had a serious heart condition for many years, so so closer to healthcare, closer to family was becoming critical. Everything was packed up. We were literally about to walk out the door to begin the drive to Alberta when my dad had a heart attack. He was unconscious, not breathing. I called 911 first thing because this was in rural Saskatchewan. The ambulance was a minimum of 20 minutes away. Doing CPR was the only chance for him to survive. So with dispatch doing the counting for me and the adrenaline kicked in full on, that's what I did. 
And I knew from my classes that the only way you could do adequate compressions was with enough force that you'd break the person's ribs. And I will never forget the sound of my dad's ribs cracking. When EMS finally arrived, they used the defibrillator, they intubated dad, and they transported him to a cardiac unit in Saskatoon, where they told us that there was a less than 7% chance that he'd survive because of the length of the time that manual compressions had been done. But he defied the odds and he rallied. Dad just recently passed away at the age of 92. Because of those compressions, he had four more years to enjoy his greatest loves, family, friends, and music. And our family got to have a special and beloved man with us for a while longer. Donna says, I hope that my story will encourage others to consider learning first aid and CPR. You could literally save somebody's life. This was before Saturday she sent this. She says, thank you for your show. You're providing a valuable service to keep us informed in our fast-changing world. That from Donna. You know, the amazing thing, and like Noel pointed out, you know, these fellas, I mean, you know, in particular, Colton, who was doing those compressions and by the way cracking a few ribs along the way that's the reality we said how's the patient we said how's he doing and one of the firemen that was overseeing it said well he's going to be nursing some broken ribs that's for sure i don't think you mind nursing broken ribs if you're still walking planet earth i think you're okay with that but i want to point out that colton was not a firefighter is not a firefighter colton's there with team local waste one of our sponsors by the way i'm not going to try to turn this into a commercial Chris Labasi, the CEO of, or pardon me, the owner of Local Waste. Mikel is the CEO. Chris comes up to me. I, I said, can you, we're just both. Chris was, was on the phone. We, he was the one directing the ambulance in. So, I mean, this was a group effort. He's on with 911. And he says to me, we got, right away, he's, we got to do something. Let's do something together. We're going to work on advocacy. We've, we've been tapped on the shoulder now to do something about this and, and to ensure that people are able to perform when it comes to CPR, when it comes to being put on the spot. I don't know what to say. You may be able to still hear it in my voice. Yesterday, my parents called and I just kind of broke on the phone, to be honest with you. It's been a very emotional time. The worst case scenario in this circumstance would be the worst scenario imaginable. And I can't communicate how grateful I am that these people, perfect strangers to one another, were there that day. Absolutely amazing. We're going to talk about the news of the day in just a moment. What I will do is bump local waste right up to the top here to remind you that, that not only are they amazing community members showing up at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, by the way, one of our premier sponsors as well, they helped us get to that $50,000 mark. But they understand keeping it local. They understand community. They're in the business of construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. And they're growing their footprint across the prairies. It's amazing to see them making, announcing these expansions into communities, it seems like, every single month. They're growing and they're hiring in White Court right now, by the way. You can check them out online if you want to learn more about that or request a, co- a quote at localwaste.ca. I also mentioned that the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton, Sherwood Park, represented there this weekend. So cool to see the Cardinal family there and behind the scenes doing an amazing job putting this thing together. The Dairy Queens at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, you know, every month have a Real Talk special. This month, January, we're almost out. The last day of January today. Can you believe it? Buy one, get one free. The take-home Dairy Queen treats, Dilly Bars, DQ ice cream sandwiches. You mentioned Real Talk at the drive-thru or the counter, and then they'll send you home. You buy one, you get one free. 
Well, this weekend, obviously, the big national news story is this so-called freedom convoy winding up in Ottawa. They've arrived. Ottawa police, RCMP, advising Ottawa citizens to stay home if you don't have to travel. Obviously, gridlock traffic snarled with you know trucks and private vehicles, demonstrations at Parliament Hill and elsewhere, including the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the Terry Fox Memorial statue, and other places. Uh, Sarah Hoyles has been uh, keeping an eye on this story, and Hoyles, it's kind of tough to know in a scenario like this where we want to begin because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I suppose, generally speaking, some people may look at this as a so-called peaceful protest in the sense that it didn't turn out like January 6th with people stabbing others with flagpoles and you know uh you know law enforcement discharging their service weapons but at the same time a lot of problematic material and a lot of people pretty upset about what they were witnessing uh, where do you want to start here i mean to me the terry fox statue uh terry fox uh in my mind and i think that you know i mean people oftentimes note terry is the greatest canadian <laughs> the greatest Canadian of all time. He's certainly on the short list. Just a remarkable human being. Saw his statue defaced, uh, flying an upside down Canadian flag, which is an absolute disgrace, holding anti-vax material. And uh, there's been a lot to say about this, including the mayor of Terry Fox's hometown, the mayor of Port Coquitlam, Brad West, uh, who went on record from his Twitter account saying, listen, I'm the mayor of Terry Fox's hometown. He's our city's hero a national inspiration and a unifier says mayor west out of bc whatever your cause you don't get to appropriate his legacy and you don't touch his statue ever this should be removed immediately so there's that with the terry fox statue and then of course you've got the the tomb of the unknown soldier too (laughs) i the fact that it needs to be said that you don't touch those vital and important statues and i i I, i'm speechless i i I think that there are like 30 million people that are walking miles walking kilometers in your shoes right now i think there there are people that are going i I mean we protect the right to protest we value the right to peaceful protest in canada this is not about that but there's there's lines to be drawn right sam can we call up that that uh, military commander's tweet Um, Sarah, you pulled this one for us. Look at this. This is Commander Stephen Thornton, who tweets after explaining to these less than fine Canadians of the hallowed grounds upon which they trode. This was their reaction in the name of freedom. Unreal, says this commander. Check this out. There's a woman standing on the tomb of the unknown soldier dancing in the name of freedom. And this is obviously outraged. Uh, Canadians for obvious reasons, millions of them. Uh, The Canadian Victoria Cross tweeting over the weekend. This is our official. They tweet an official statement. Uh, The tomb of the unknown soldier and those who he represents, plus the war memorial above him are sacred ground. Treat it that way. We ask that his resting place be left alone and left with the reverence one would expect for our fallen soldiers. Like you said, Sarah, the fact that this has to be said says something. You know, I know that a lot of people have been doing their best to carry water for this protest, to carry mm-hmm. water for this convoy, to say, ah, you're trying to write us off as a, you know, a, 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 as a bunch of hooligans, as a bunch of racists, as a bunch of white supremacists. This is not that. 
And I don't think anybody has suggested that every single person on this convoy is a white supremacist or a racist. That's not reasonable. And it's obviously not the truth. And I'm sure that some people have joined this convoy in good faith because they're desperate to see the economy pick up or they're desperate to see their kids back in school or they're desperate to see the country emerge from a pandemic. But it was unignorable over the weekend. The Canadian flags with swastikas on them, the Confederate flags that were flying, the, the, the stars of David invoking the Holocaust, uh, talking about Canada's vaccination policies. And then, of course, there's a member of parliament relatively local to us, uh, St. Albert's member of parliament, Michael Cooper, who found himself in a pretty tough spot, granting an interview down at the grounds of the protest with an upside down Canadian flag with swastikas all over it right behind him. This has raised the ire of a couple other Alberta mayors. I don't know if Sarah, do we, do we still have Sarah? Let's get up oh, what Amarjeet, yeah. let's get up to what Amarjeet <laughs> Sohi had to say about this. Amarjeet Sohi is Edmonton's mayor, says as mayors of the two cities that straddle member of parliament, Michael Cooper's riding, um, Mayor Kathy Heron and I are troubled by a photo of MP Cooper that's being circulated with an upside down Canadian flag with a hateful symbol of a swastika on it. Uh, Kathy Heron also indicating uh, her extreme concern with this. Now, I know that Michael Cooper is trying to get himself off the hook on this one. He's issued a statement and basically said, I wasn't flying the flag. I didn't know about the flag. Basically said that, you know, the flag's not cool. That's the gist of his statement. But for people that have seen Michael Cooper vote against a conversion therapy ban, for people that are aware of Michael Cooper's musings about, quote, Muslim goat herder cultures, I think this is just kind of another note on the list of reasons why people are concerned about the state of conservatism in Canada. This guy's quickly becoming one of the poster boys. Well, I just I, I do wonder if you're the company you keep and if you are in proximity in close proximity to that, um, it just it's a head scratcher. And it, it makes me very concerned that he's OK being in the company of and in the proximity of, I mean, for it to be flying right there behind him and him for to give the interview. I mean, he can say, Oh, I didn't know it was there, but the company we keep folks, the company we keep. And people will, you know, people will say, well, we're going to try to write off a gathering of a few thousand people because of a couple bad apples. You're going to try to paint everybody with the same brush. You're going to call everybody a white supremacist just because there's a few Confederate flags invoking the legacy of slavery in the United States, or there's just a few Nazi flags flying. I mean, we saw Jewish groups in Ottawa and across the country over the weekend doing what they could with advocacy to say this symbol this Nazi symbol flying freely in our nation's capital do like, may we please remind everyone that this is completely unacceptable. And I'm going to sit here and say, I'm not the type of person who wants to group an entire, you know, thousands of people and say they all are this. But I will say that if I'm attending an event, you know, if this was like the mid 1990s and there was a rally against the GST you know, people didn't like that Brian Mulroney's bringing in the GST or maybe it was a rally against like daylight saving time or maybe it was like a red. And all of a sudden I'm looking around me and I'm seeing Confederate flags and swastikas flying. Even if I do not 
align with the ideology that those flags represent, I'm very quickly going to realize that the tone or the premise of this gathering is extremely problematic. And yeah, the fact, I'm going to get out of there. I'm, I'm going to get out of there. Number one, I'm going to get out of there. Uh, and number two, if necessary, if I've been a, if I'm a public figure that has been celebrating and supporting this convoy the entire time, I'm probably going to go on the record and say something about it. And right now, I don't blame Canadians, but in particular, reasonable, mainstream, empathetic, common sense conservatives for being very concerned about how their party is being portrayed right now. So what's the deal up to the minute, Sarah? Because I know that there's, I mean, obviously some of the protests have kind of started to dissipate, you know, Saturday into Sunday were, were the big days and there were a ton of people. There were uh, now uh, Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson, asking people to start to consider to leave. I've seen some people calling on Aaron O'Toole. Mm. What does that even say to Aaron O'Toole that people are saying, you're the one that can speak directly to these people. You're the one that needs to ask these people to leave. If I'm Aaron O'Toole, this is keeping me up at night. But what's Monday morning looking like in Ottawa right now? Well, folks are being asked to stay home. So it's almost like quarantining, but this time because of, of, of these hostile protests. So yeah, people in Ottawa are being asked to stay home. It's difficult to still get around in downtown, around the Parliament Hill. I mean, the Ottawa police have said there have been major problems. People have been defecating. There's been public defecation, urination, um, yeah, threatening, illegal, intimidating behavior. It's, I mean, I think we need to just strike it, strike the word of trucker out of this. This has it's nothing not to do with trucking. Yeah, it, it's it, not trucker's protest, not trucker's convoy. It's just, I mean, you've referred to it as the freedom convoy. Yeah. <laughs> um, freedom protests, which again, we're free folks. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I'm not sure how free somebody feels, and this is information that was confirmed from an Ottawa city councilor yesterday. I'm not sure how free somebody feels if they're a member of the LGBTQ community and they're flying a pride flag on their private property and somebody comes up and takes a shit on their doorstep. Um, if that's me, I'm not feeling very free to be who I am. Right. This is that whole idea of make America great again. Get back to the good old days and thousands of millions of people having to remind the general population that the good old days weren't great for everybody and different people's interpretations of what freedom is or what freedom looks like uh, are worth considering. I mean, how about the uh, is it the Good Shepherd Society? What is the, the organization in Ottawa that, that, that they help feed and serve the homeless and the underhoused? Yeah. Many members of this convoy essentially hijacking their services, taking the food, causing problems they had to take to their Twitter account to say, like, we can't do our jobs right now in assisting society's most marginalized because these parasites have come in and started to take away all of our resources. I mean, you talk about I don't know if it would have been possible to give this convoy a worse name without an egregious act of violence. And I'm not calling for that. I'm not trying to manifest that. But quite frankly, optically, I don't know how this gets much worse. And I got to a point on my personal Twitter. This is just my personal opinion. I needed to do this for my mental health. Mm. I said, I'm declaring a personal moratorium on convoy tweets over the weekend because I am done trying to explain to people, including personal friends of mine why this thing is a major problem. 
major problem. Let's talk about I mean, this border block. Sorry, sorry. I wanted. I just wanted because this is relevant yeah. as well, right? I mean, I mean it's it's huge. There's so many different uh, factors, things that are are playing in all across the country. So yeah. yeah, and you're right. We haven't even talked about. I mean, there were local convoys. I heard you know there were convoys going like all these cities across. There was a convoy going through. I mean, these these are the convoys that didn't go to Ottawa. They're doing local convoys. And now check this out. This is the Coots border crossing. This is a hugely important border crossing between Canada and the United States south of Lethbridge. It remains blockaded. It's being supported by at least one United Conservative MLA. Check this out. This is Grant Hunter, who says, you know, he says, I brought the grandkids down to the Coots border today to show them them the importance of standing up for freedom and liberty. Uh, Meantime, his boss, the premier, Jason Kenney from Washington, D.C., where he's working on trying to get trade going, trying to get cross border activity happening again, trying to deal with supply chain issues. The premier coming out and saying the blockade of the Coots border crossing violates the Alberta Traffic Safety Act. He says this blockade must end. I wonder what that means for MLA Grant Hunter and the others that have supported this. I'd be curious to know what Jason Kenney's plan is there. And of course, a lot of people are quite rightfully wondering about whatever happened to that critical infrastructure defense act that the United Conservatives passed. Right. Whatever happened to to when critical infrastructure like, I don't know, border crossings are blocked. Whatever happened to sending in the RCs and, and making sure that that blockade is cleared out with appropriate force. I should be careful with the use of the word force. What I'm saying is, is with a display of law enforcement capability, get them the hell out of there. Uh, this is really, really, I, I think, a story that becomes a problem. Did you see the note about the paramedics? Did you see that there are some Montana communities? Do you see this one? I mean, they're just they're blocking everything. They're making it impossible for vital uh, life saving <laughs> services from from getting places to from doing their jobs there are there are ambulances in southern alberta that actually have agreements to serve northern montana communities i think it was sweetgrass if i saw that correctly so in theory right now if you're south of the border if you're in montana and you call 911 because let's say your husband or your daughter has just had a stroke that ambulance is not going to be able to get through the border to respond because it's being blocked right now this is precisely what they say they're protesting against. This is precise, like they are causing what they are say they are trying to prevent, which is stoppage of flow, stoppage of supports to the economy, stoppage of services. They are doing precisely the thing they are protesting against. It doesn't make any sense. Except for what you pointed out earlier, where you hit the nail on the head and pointed out that this has nothing to do with trucking. It has nothing to do with supply chains and it has absolutely nothing to do with. I mean, you just take a look, you read the signs, you know, I mean, you take a look at what people are protesting against. There's very few truckers saying I'm doing my best to keep working here, but the vaccine mandate is stopping me from being able to. There's not that. There's not that at all. You can let us know your thoughts to talk at RyanJesperson.com. We'll get into the story about Joe Rogan. It's kind of sort of in a way, I guess, maybe loosely related to this. He's issued a 10 minute video on his Instagram talking about the controversy. His podcast has caused prominent musicians, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young and others saying we're pulling our music from the platform. I saw that podcaster Dave Berta, Dave Cornoyer, who's an Alberta political poster, uh, podcaster, he contacted Spotify over the weekend, said, pull my podcast off there. We're not doing this. Not doing this until there's meaningful action on this. And so Rogan has acknowledged that maybe there should be 
kind of a caveat, like a disclaimer that runs before episodes of the Joe Rogan experience. We'll get to that story in just a moment. What are Canadian cities doing to divert mental health calls called into 911 to divert them away from police? Fascinating stuff. And as far as I know, pretty good news story. We'll find out the details. But first, I want to remind you that the Growing the North Conference is coming up. It's a virtual conference from February 22nd through 24th. It's the 13th annual Growing the North Conference where municipal leaders and entrepreneurs explore economic development opportunities and innovation in Northwest Alberta. So you can expect keynote presentations on on a a number of subjects, including the economy in the future, resiliency in agriculture, tourism, innovation, leadership, an amazing networking opportunity as well. Three half days of learning, sharing, and connecting with industry leaders at Northern Alberta's premier economic development conference. You can get tickets right now. They're available at growingthenorth.com. Don't wait. Get your tickets today at growingthenorth.com. So cool to see the team from Kubi Energy among the 30 teams at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic this weekend. Jake and the guys were out there. Great to see the family-friendly environment. They had their families there, had the little kids running around, shooting pucks around. So much fun. I was thinking next year, maybe a few huge big solar panels around there. Sam, wouldn't that look... Although I'd be afraid firing pucks. The way that my aim's been lately, you don't want me shooting pucks anywhere near solar panels. That's probably a bad idea. The team at Kubi is doing solar energy installs across Western Canada. Two offices. They're headquartered out of Edmonton and Kamloops, BC, and they're hiring right now. If you're in sales, most especially if you're an electrician or an electrical apprentice, if you're looking for a new opportunity installing the next wave of solar energy solutions, go right now to kubienergy.ca. Well, we know... Oftentimes, I tweeted about this on Friday, that when police and police alone respond to calls to 911 relating to mental health, sometimes it turns out tragic. We've had conversations on this show about training for law enforcement, about integration of social services. Well, there's something happening in some Canadian cities, and it's a good news story. Pilot programs evolving into permanent ones where social supports are integrated into emergency response. It's a real pleasure to welcome to the program Jeremy Bow. He's the supervisor of community safety and resilience supports with the city of Red Deer, uh, previously working for the Canadian Mental Health Association, supporting areas of mental health addiction and homelessness, as well as supportive housing. Muhammad Sharia is the manager of policing reform at the city of Toronto. He's been in the role for coming up on two years, working in the development of an alternative community crisis response service. And Asif, or Ashif, pardon me, Rashid is the superintendent with the Calgary Police Service. As a matter of fact, Calgary's pilot program here is going to start tomorrow. And so we'll get into those details. But Mo, I'd like to start with you and the work that you've been doing in Toronto. What led to the creation of this initiative and, and what have you learned over the past couple of years or so? Pleasure to be on here, Ryan, with you and with your guests. Um, what really led to this is the calls we heard in June of 2020, the unfortunate passing of George Floyd and here in Toronto, Regis Kuczynski Paquette, and the calls by many in the community that we needed to have a better response to mental health crisis calls. So the city of Toronto undertook a tremendous in, uh, community engagement. We'll have an over uh, 33 community roundtables, 500 people attending them. 
We did two large surveys with almost 7,000 responses. And the one thing we heard clearly is people asked for us to examine how do we help ensure that people get the right response they need when mental health crisis calls come in through 911. So these pilots are aimed at ensuring that we send in the right response, which is going to be a community-led response, as opposed to having police attend these calls. Jeremy, you're, you're in such a fascinating position with the city of Red Deer, uh, you know, working toward ensuring and, and fostering community safety and resilience supports. And of course, you've got this background working with the Canadian Mental Health Association. What have you learned in your different career pursuits uh, over the course of your journey that relates to what we're talking about today? Excellent. And thank you so much for having me on as well, Ryan. Uh, you know, it's so interesting and exciting to see this type of program delivered in Red Deer. We've been talking about this type of approach for a long time. And I started uh, 17 years ago in Red Deer uh, doing street outreach and recognizing the need for some different tools in our toolbox when it comes to responding to vulnerable individuals. We're very blessed to have a strong community that's supporting and working together to come up with new ideas and and launch those out into the community. So the social diversion team is a good example of uh, an initiative that we can do that provides the right resource at the right time and supports our RCMP members in their day-to-day work as well, giving them another tool in their toolbox. So this is a, a big week. Uh, tomorrow, Calgary's uh, program begins, right? A pilot program. Uh, I'll see if I wonder if, if you can take us into this and, and, I mean, obviously, you know, you're superintendent with the Calgary Police Service. Uh, you know, you're, you're pretty much right at the top of the chain here when it comes to decision making. What led to establishing this pilot program? Yeah, great question. And again, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And you the today. So uh, our experiences were not dissimilar to what uh, Mo was talked about in Toronto as well. We heard during some very uh, visceral conversations with city council from members of our community last year that oftentimes those experiencing mental health or addictions or other vulnerabilities we're not receiving favorable outcomes in many cases uh, from an explicitly exclusive police response. As a result of what we heard from our community in June of 2021, the City of Calgary, Calgary Police Service and the Calgary Police Commission, that's our kind of governance oversight board, committed to advancing equitable, effective crisis response systems and develop better ways to serve uh, vulnerable Calgarians. Uh, This was realized through an $8 million uh, commitment, a financial commitment by the CPS and a similarly matched $8 million commitment Uh, under the banner of the Community Safety Investment Framework uh, through the City of Calgary. Uh, Phase one of uh, about 27 or 28 projects that have been funded by those initiatives uh, takes launch, uh, as you said, tomorrow morning. It's a a milestone achievement for us, whereupon we're going to have members from our 211 Distress Centre call takers physically co-located in our Calgary 911 Centre to ensure that we have a continuity of care as uh, calls are dispatched to first responders and social agencies. So, Mo, in March in Toronto, you'll have this uh, community crisis support service teams, right? The first of their kind in Ontario. Um, And if I understand correctly, it's going to dispatch nurses and mental health support workers instead of police officers to respond to 911 calls about people in crisis. I want to just sort of hand the floor over to you to, to let you run with it and explain to us how this works. I I will acknowledge, uh, number one, first of all, let me be clear. I'm so grateful for law enforcement. It, it's, law enforcement is not without its problems, obviously, like many other uh, industries, but they, they operate under a high degree of stress. Um, I'm not sure that all of us quite understand what comes with the territory. There certainly have been scenarios uh, that have had tragic outcomes involving police and mental health calls in particular. Um, 
but also there's a part of me here that that wonders if we're sending civilians and nurses into a mental health scenario that could require police support, could we be creating an entirely different problem? Uh, can you help us understand how this is going to work and maybe how you're addressing some of the potential concerns? For sure. You know, Toronto Police Services gets about 33,000 person crisis calls. The vast majority of these calls uh, don't really require police response. Uh, only a few of them do in terms of people who may have to be detained for their own safety or for the safety of others. The pilots will be responding to non-emergency, non-violent calls. So these are calls where there is no weapons uh, present and there is no risk to life or safety. And the goal is to really provide, as your, as your uh, earlier panelist said, uh, the right response at the right time. And that is sometimes uh, somebody with harm reduction experience, somebody who's a community nurse, or somebody who uh, has a lived experience of experiencing mental health crisis themselves. And to be able to connect, help the person de-escalate in the moment, and then follow up with them and connect them to the services they need so they don't fall back into crisis. In addition, our pilots will be doing community outreach to uh, hopefully uh, engage communities, let them know the services available. And, and prevent people from falling into crisis in the first place and connecting them to the services they may need uh, before they fall into crisis. In terms of the question of how safe are these calls, what happens if something were to go wrong, the crisis workers will be trained to be able to reach um, uh, our police services, fire or paramedics if that's required. But ultimately what we've seen in other jurisdictions, including New York, Portland, or even here in Toronto, we've already had a community-led response for the past 30 years called the Gerstein Crisis Center of their 49,000 calls, uh, they've only had to call the police a handful of times for backup and support. So we're going to study this very closely and look at that. But ultimately, we think this will have tremendous positive output for the community. Uh, Jeremy, this is uh, I want you to hear this. Terry, uh, one of our uh, live audience members this morning in our chat on YouTube says, as someone with an indigenous child uh, who is on and off living on the streets of Red Deer in particular, Terry says, I'm incredibly grateful. I'm so relieved to know there's a better system in place than having only RCMP respond. Uh, now, Red Deer's social diversion team, this recently went from being a pilot program like Calgary's about to launch into a permanent program, right? Uh, and this is, if I understand it, about 170 calls a month they're responding to. Uh, what sort of a difference have you seen it make in the community? What do you think convinced the decision makers uh, to create a permanent program? out of the pilot and, and and also what's it doing to availability of law enforcement to respond to other calls taking 170 calls on average off of their plate every month yeah we are so happy to see the progress and success of the pilot uh, very early on and so we were quite confident knowing that it was going to be continue to be a valued program in the community so one of the other benefits of providing this service 160 to 170 times a month has been the amount of time it takes to uh, deal with an event and so when someone is in need, this team has the ability to get there quickly. The average travel time is just under five minutes to get to the site where the event is taking place. And most events wrap up within about 27 minutes. And so we're seeing expedited response and the ability to, when required, transport individuals to a place that they need to get to to be safe for themselves and get the health and social supports that they're looking for. And so we just see a great value in being able to respond quickly and get a person to where they need to be as quickly as we can, and hopefully start to um, connect with that individual in a different way to help them on their path to health and safety for themselves. Uh, Superintendent Rashid, uh, this this pilot project that kicks off tomorrow, you got I think it's five months, correct? This pilot project. What will you be looking for as you analyze the data and the anecdotal evidence that that comes with it? What what to you will indicate that this was a successful run, and and what could potentially turn it into a permanent setup? 
Yeah, you know, most philosophically, it's about enhancing the quality of life for those vulnerable Calgarians experiencing a mental health or addictions crisis. As Jeremy alluded to earlier, there is uh, obviously a, a business uh, position here as well, that uh, police are looking to divest themselves of certain types of calls for service, where members of the community have told us time and time again that we are not the best modality of response. So, of course, it's only a five-month project. Uh, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to retain it uh, beyond, and that will come on the heels of a robust evaluation plan that we're doing. Enhancing the quality of life for vulnerable Calgarians, a diminished uh, number of calls for service that uh, police officers have to respond to, including mental health uh, and addictions crises, uh, but also that warm handoff, that continuity of care to ensure that members of our community are being connected with the right resource at the right time, as has been said several times already. Uh, Steve, can I ask you candidly, how, do, how does the average police officer feel about this? The average police officer as a practitioner feels very good about this. You know, in Calgary, being a large uh, metropolis here, we have a bewildering array of social service supports for vulnerable Calgarians. As a police officer, as a practitioner, systems navigation is equally difficult for me as a police officer as it is for a vulnerable person experiencing a crisis. So one of the things we've done is the 211 uh, Calgary Distress Centre application, we've actually uploaded it to each of our police officers' smartphones so that they too can navigate the system and connect members of the community with the right resource. Oftentimes, we don't know where to take somebody experiencing a mental health or addictions crisis. There are anecdotal stories of police officers who have driven around all night when it's 30 below with a vulnerable person in the backseat of the cruiser because there is just no place to take them. So this is a great step forward in helping our police officers as well. Before I thank the three of you for your time, I want to make sure that we don't leave anything unaddressed, that we don't miss an important point. Um, Jeremy, maybe with you first, is there anything you wanted to make sure that we put in front of this audience? I know a lot of people are going to be interested in this conversation. Anything we haven't yet touched on? Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Again, I, I will end by saying that we have had great support from our RCMP members and other first responders. They've been early adopters and big supporters of the program. And we look forward to continuing this and understanding how we can make the changes required to expand the program and meet additional needs in the community. Great stuff. Mo, anything else that we really need to be considering here? Thanks, Brian, for the opportunity as well. I think the key thing just to add is the city's partnering with four community organizations who have a track record of doing this work on the ground. And I think that's the key that we believe in terms of making sure this, these pilots will be successful. And uh, we'll give last word to you, Asif. Anything else that we that we haven't touched on coming from your perspective as Superintendent Calgary Police? Yeah, no, really, just hearing these conversations from around the country reassures me that we are embarking on a journey of transformation and change in serving vulnerable Calgarians. I'm optimistic that our pilot project, which launches tomorrow, will be one step amongst a suite of services that we can provide to Calgarians in the months and years ahead. So this is an exciting time for law enforcement and social agencies and community alike. Thanks again. Yeah, you got it. My thanks. That's Asif Rashid, uh, Superintendent CPS, uh, Mo Sharia, joining us, Manager of Policing Reform at the City of Toronto, obviously Canada's most populated city in Jeremy Bao, the Supervisor of Community Safety and Resilience Supports with the City of Red Deer. You can let us know what you think about this. I mean, I would imagine like what an amazing comment there from Terry. That's her first person perspective. This is why this story matters to her. We always want to know why these stories matter to you. I tweeted this out on Friday. This was right after the show. Uh, this is tragic. I'm not going to show the video uh, on Real Talk here. If, if you'd like to track it down yourself, you can. You'll find it on my Twitter profile at Ryan Jesperson. Nine police officers in Tennessee, in the state of Tennessee, on an interstate highway in Nashville, opening fire on a 37-year-old after a confrontation on a highway. He was reportedly holding a pair of box cutters. Uh, he was sitting on a guardrail on the busy roadway, uh, obviously experiencing a mental health incident, obviously 
if you see the video, and I'll warn you that you can't unsee it, uh, you will know that uh, there has to be a better way to respond to calls like this. Absolutely horrific stuff. Like I tweeted about this, the conversation we've just had is a great step in the right direction. And we're always curious to know where you're landing on what you're hearing here on the show. Uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, we've got an incredible positive reflections coming up. And uh, of course, Sarah's keeping an eye on this Joe Rogan development as well. This video that he released over the weekend. But I want to remind you how happy we were to see so many Real Talk sponsors in attendance this weekend. I'm still rocking the sweater, although if I'm going to be honest, because I knew that I was going to be in studio with Sam today, Sam, I decided to wash my jersey after the tournament before. Oh, thank I, God. Well, it just sort of had that kind of a tinge to it you know i mean it proved that i had a great time as, as somebody sharing the airspace with you here i appreciate it yeah and i left the hockey bag at home yeah, you I, might, didn't... I might crank the air purifier up after the show <laughs> that's not a bad idea as a matter of fact the park power players were out and great to see chris and the team there uh park power is your friendly local utilities provider uh, natural gas electricity internet they do it all and you have a choice in alberta you have freedom to choose whichever utility provider you like why not compare rates today at parkpower.ca they'll handle the changeover for you so you don't have to break up with your previous provider i love that note that we got from larry a real talker last week you said i just got my first bill from park power says we use the same amount of utilities last month as we did this month and he goes my bill is 36 percent less so Take it from Larry. You can go to parkpower.ca today to make that switch. Boy, were there some beautiful Jeeps parked there in St. Albert on Saturday for our Pond Hockey Classic. They were all provided by our friends at St. Albert Dodge. I posted a, a photo uh, right by that new Grand Cherokee L. This is the first Grand Cherokee that they've ever built with the third row of seating. So it creates that extra cargo space, perfect for growing families, perfect for people in sports. Maybe you need to fit golf bags, snowboards. Maybe you got a couple of dogs. You're running to the dog park every single day. You'll find great selection online and in person at the two dealerships that work together to ensure that they've got the best inventory in the province at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Also, big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. Tomorrow, my friends, tomorrow it's February 1st, which means it's going to be 15% off the first day of the month every month at Friesen Brothers on grocery purchases over $75. Keep in mind that when February kicks in, that also means that we're going to have a new Mike's Meal of the Month. This month, January, it's been the Alberta Pierogi Pizza. I've tried it. I don't have the words to describe how good it is. Thinly sliced Alberta potatoes, cheddar cheese, bacon bits, and a kick of cayenne pepper. You can learn more about whatever they're doing at Friesen Brothers. Always cool stuff going on. I haven't even talked about the cinnamon buns because there's just frankly not enough time right now. At Friesen.com, Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Well, he's probably the most prominent podcaster in the world. Quite frankly, the Joe Rogan experience is so well subscribed that Spotify, the streaming platform, gave Joe Rogan $100 million to keep his podcast off the other platforms like Apple and Google. Well, whether or not it's blown up in Spotify's face remains to be seen. All this publicity is not necessarily a terrible thing, but Spotify did lose a reported $4 billion in market cap, potentially temporarily, potentially not. 
after calls for Joe Rogan to exhibit more responsibility increased. A series of controversial guests on his show questioning things like vaccines and vaccine mandates prompted artists like Neil Young, like you just saw there, Joni Mitchell and others to say they're leaving Spotify if Spotify doesn't do something about Joe Rogan. Well, over the weekend, Joe Rogan released by way of his Instagram about a 10 minute video talking about whether or not there should be a warning, like a disclaimer at the beginning of podcasts that may deal with pseudoscience and misinformation. Here's a portion of what Joe Rogan had to say. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely. I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. Um, I'm not interested in only talking to people that uh, have one perspective. I agree with that part. And we tell you about that all the time on Real Talk. This is a nonpartisan talk show. It's a talk show that lives in the gray areas. We've made you those promises. We want to have, like he said, interesting conversations with interesting people. We want to question convention. We want to ask questions other people are afraid to ask. So where do you draw the line? Where does it become unacceptable? I mean, does it depend on the size of the platform? Does it depend on who you give credibility to? Does it depend on whether or not you balance out the perspectives? Now, everybody's going to have a different opinion on this. A lot of people love Joe Rogan. Some people couldn't stand Joe Rogan to begin with. That's kind of how it goes with celebrity, most especially polarizing figures. I'm curious to know where our team lands on this. Do you have thoughts, Sam, on this? I mean, is this something you've been putting some thought into? And did Joe Rogan's video released over the weekend change your mind or influence your thinking on this at all? Uh, the short answer is his video changed nothing for me. Um, Joe Rogan's a complicated figure in that, like, I think those of us in this business actually owe him some credit. I do. It's like he he took podcasting from this sort of, I don't want to call it fringe, but it was a little bit more niche and it became very, very big and very, very mainstream under the purview of Joe Rogan. You know, we... The thing is that it just, like, to me, it's something that just grew too big, too fast, and didn't have checks and balances in place, and didn't have the editorial oversight uh, to make sure that the information was vetted and accurate, and it just, it was a little bit too, you know, shoot from the hip, we're going to do this from the seat of our pants type of things. I've, I've listened, I think, to maybe three episodes of Joe Rogan in my life, and, and kind of love that he would go long form, and he'd invest in, in a guest and that kind of thing, but the guy's gone off the deep end. Hoyles, where do you land on it? I mean, I know that, you know, you're not the biggest fan of Joe Rogan. I picked that up based on your comments, which is, of course, obviously perfectly fine. <laughs> First of all, let me give you a chance to push back on that in case in case I didn't realize and you're like his number one subscriber. But, but, but what do you make of most especially? I mean, the, the development, the reason why we're talking about this today uh, is because he released that video and said, hey, listen, he sort of provided some insight into his process and how he operates. Did it change your mind or did it influence the way you're thinking about this? It hasn't changed my mind. I mean, I think it's kind of a dead giveaway, the, what his video was all about. It was a lot of yeah buts, a lot of yeah buts in that video. Uh, he referenced the fact that, you know, these experts that I've had on have said cloth masks, they question cloth masks. He failed to mention in that 10 minute video that that was because of the variant Omicron, mm -hmm. that cloth masks were effective. 
So he's basically, he's, he's lying through omission. And that's what he does on his show. I mean, it's what Tim Caulfield doc, uh, referred to during his time on our show. The idea of jacking off. I'm just asking questions. There's nothing wrong with just asking questions. The other piece is false equivalency. Saying that because, you know, I like to get a variety of perspectives. Yeah, but they should be verifiable. He also in his video said, you know, this is the most published doctor ever, mm -hmm. is what he said. Mm -hmm. Okay, but published where? That's important. Just to, because he's just put out as a, 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 the most articles or the most blog posts or wherever like i don't even know what he's referring to can, you, can i tell you where i see it like our podcast is not like joe rogan's in the in the sense that um as far as i know we've not yet been offered a hundred million dollars for exclusivity on any platform but we do have a platform and we do have an audience and there's a responsibility that comes with it and yes. on one hand the responsibility is to foster and uh, provide a space for different opinions. A talk show without different opinions sucks. And I don't ever want to do one. And we've had circumstances where we've had some people on the show that have infuriated members of our listening audience. Never the audience writ large, because that's not the way it goes. When we get angry emails from some people about an interview, we get emails about that same interview from people saying, I'm so glad that you had that conversation. I'm so glad that you asked important questions around that movement. But there's a sense of responsibility that comes with what we do. And here's where I see the parallel. Joe Rogan bringing on people that are talking, well, do we need the vaccines or is this even real or getting into that type of conversation? Now it's apples and oranges a little bit, but work with me. What happened last week when I off the top of my head, like Rogan says in his video, he goes, hey, guys, I turn on the microphone. I mean, I'm not sure if I totally believe this, he says, but I just turn on the microphone and start talking. And he goes, and sometimes when my ideas don't come across as totally well thought out, it's because they're not. It's because those thoughts are occurring to me in the moment. And I can say as a host and having been a host for 20 years on live unscripted television, radio, and now this our new media platform that does happen. And you do get into zones where you're starting to wax poetic about something you've not thought all the way through. And sometimes you step in one. What about me just last week? talking about a conversation that I had with a first responder who told me that people would be surprised at how infrequently CPR works. And what about the feedback that we got after that? The email I read today about a woman who saved her dad's life, an ER nurse. We read that email on Friday. Allison, who talked about how, how, how CPR can be vital uh, to preventing brain damage from people that are on route to hospital that will soon have the resources in the ER that they need to have a fighting chance at survival. And quite frankly, I walked that one back. It was a comment that I made off the cuff. I don't remember even how we started talking about it. And ultimately, we were reminded by people earnestly that it's so important to be using this platform in an accurate way, in a responsible way, and in a way that encourages people to continue to seek out valid trustworthy information sources. And that's where I think that Joe Rogan has has a long way to go. That's where I think he has work to do. Now, obviously, something happened. I don't know if it was from Spotify or somewhere else that prompted him to release this statement, because all publicity is good publicity. When you're that prominent, when you have that many people talking about your podcast, that's a good thing for him to push this video out. I have to believe that someone from Spotify said we need you to address this. 
well, they needed to have it addressed because they are bleeding, bleeding subscribers. Over the weekend, the actual functionality of their platform for people to cancel their subscriptions went offline. They were inundated. So they're basically, people are voting with their feet. They're voting with, well, they're voting with their credit cards. Ultimately, they're saying, I'm not paying anymore. Bye-bye. You, you're not reliable. I mean, this is, this is the point, and this is where I think the, the differential is, is that it's about clickbait. His show is all about what is the wildest thing? What can I get away with? And what will people listen to? And it's the sensationalism. Um, and that is what he lives and dies by. And that's why Spotify got him. Yeah. So... And what, where's the value? What is the value? What do we value? Um, I hold myself to a higher standard. Yeah. I mean, that's the way to get any corporation's attention, big or small, is voting with your wallet. I mean, that's ultimately the best, most effective way to get a corporation's attention. I feel like you got something to say. I'm just reading your body language. I, I just, you know, I, you, were, you were making some of the comparisons between what we do and what, what Rogan does. And I'd like to just point out to our audience a few of the things that we do do. Number one, we have an editorial board. We have a group of individuals literally watching over our shoulder and being like, that was completely editorially wrong and you got to change this. And we got like, that is their sole job. We have entire books that tell us how to do our editorial standards correctly. Like it's just, it's not like you can just turn on a microphone, talk off the cuff and, and ensure accuracy and fairness. We have a Sarah that keeps us in line. We I have mean, a Sarah. Come on. We have our very own Sarah. I love that. That's and no, I'm obviously just having fun with you here. That sounded a little Trumpian. We have many books. We have many, many books. <laughs> we could actually get a few more books in here. Leather backed, maybe do like a nice rich mahogany shelf. What do you guys think? Maybe when we get our hundred mil, that's what we'll do. When we get our hundred, Sam's goes to the wide shot here. So we can, we, so we're going to need to do it in the new studio. I don't know where we're, we're not taking don't think down. Bookshelves are going to fit in here. We're not taking Jay Bigham's paintings down. No way in hell. So we're going to have to wait until we have more square footage. Uh, I'm curious to know where you land on the Joe Rogan thing. Um, I, uh, I think that there is uh, there needs to be room for conversations that are uh, uncomfortable and for conversations that ask difficult questions about, uh, you know, things that we as a society tend to automatically embrace. There always has to be room for that type of conversation. There always has to be real talk. But with it comes responsibility. One other thing, and you've made such great points, Sam. We've got our editorial board. We've got our standards. We've got our style guide, a real talk style guide. We've got our editorial producer that holds us accountable. We've got me and my personal conviction, but we also have this audience. And this is, without a doubt, the most engaged audience that I have ever worked for. I work for you, and we invite your feedback anytime. And you can also vote with your wallet and support us on Patreon via ryanjesperson.com. In just a second... A new twist on positive reflections. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to welcome two people to the show that are doing amazing work in their community. But first, I want to remind you that Athabasca University right now, this is a big time of year for them with regards to enrollment. It's the time of year, January into February, where people are turning over those new leaves, where people are looking to better themselves. People are looking to learn a little bit more, educate themselves. So many resources at AthabascaU.ca to customize your online university experience. They've got world-class accredited online programs. You know, just because it's online, it doesn't mean, you know, we all know that one friend that like got accredited from somewhere and you go, where, where did you, where is this? 
diploma from? This isn't real. Man, I could have made you this on my printer. This is not. Athabasca U has world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace. Plus, they are one of Canada's most prominent research universities. The opportunities there are endless. You can begin the next phase of your life today by visiting AthabascaU.ca. Boy, is the team at Eden Landscaping getting ready to go for spring. I check in with Mike from time to time, and this is the time of year where they're doing all the design work and ordering the supplies that they're going to need to bring your outdoor space to life. We talk about supply chain issues all the time. We talk about the new reality. Part of that means that it takes a little bit longer, or at least it can take a little bit longer than usual to get those materials ready to rock. That's why you want to get in touch with Eden Landscaping today to start that design journey. Of course, they carry it all the way through. You don't have to hire a contractor after the design work is done and they never leave until you're completely satisfied. You can check out their portfolio at landscapeedmonton.ca. Now, every Monday, we kick off our week on the right foot. We want to remind you that there are amazing people doing amazing things. It's proudly presented by Kubi Energy. It's Positive Reflections. Now, typically, this is where we would read you the emails that we've received from like James and show you a video like one that I got from Chris. And I want to let you guys know that those are coming up next Monday. Don't you worry. We've got them all filed away. I also got an amazing email from Corrine a while back who sent me a trash talk and a positive reflection in the same message. I was like, now that is my style of email. Corrine, your email's coming up. Don't you worry, next positive reflections. But today, I wanted to introduce you to a couple of uh, remarkable people that understand what community's all about. We're talking about mentorship today, and it's a pleasure to introduce you to Denisha Balu Shivji uh, is with the Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Now, her story is incredible because she's been a little sister and now the big sister experience too. How cool is that? And Aaron Hoyland, he's a project manager in IT. He's been a big brother with BCBG Bigs for six years. And I said, what was it? Five, six, seven days ago on the show, I was going to find some way to get Hoyland on the show. Well, here he is, both of them. And so while we talk about mentorship, January is mentoring month at the Alberta Mentorship Program. The goal to increase awareness about the power of mentoring. This is a great news story. Denisha, why don't we begin with you? How did you first get involved? You were just a little girl, right? I was. Thanks, Ryan, for having me here. It's great to see you again. Um, I was nine years old when I walked through those doors. Um, My mom, my parents had just uh, split up. We had moved from Calgary to Edmonton. Um, My mom was working three jobs to put a roof over my head and my sister's head. And she had the incredible foresight to enroll us with Big Brothers Big Sisters because she knew that we needed um, a a role model, another role model in our lives while she was working to to support us. So that's how I got involved. And I've kind of just stayed 25 years this year that I've been involved with that agency in various ways. Well, what an amazing resource for you as a young girl. Uh, What an amazing resource for your mom who knew that the resource was available, first of all, which is a great news story in itself. How would you summarize? I mean, we're talking about a quarter century here. We're talking about 25 years. You could probably go on for an hour. But how would you summarize the role of that mentorship in your life through the years? 
Self-confidence. That's what it gave me um, throughout the years, Ryan. I met you, I think, six years ago when I ran for city council. Um, I couldn't have done that if I hadn't had the self-confidence to do that. And my big sister um, has been part of my life for the past 25 years. Um, she, When I had my daughter two years ago, she knitted a blanket for her um, that my daughter still loves today. So she, I think for me, it's that self-confidence. It's consistency. Um, I don't remember what we did, the activities we did together, but I remember she was there for me every single week. How cool. Aaron, how did you get involved in this program? It was about six years ago, and uh, I was newly single. I had some time on my hands, and uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters was running a program, um, 100 Men, 100 Days, they called it, where they're trying to recruit 100 male mentors in a little over three months. And so I did some reading about it, and I you know, learned they have kind of a chronic shortage of male mentors. And I thought, you know, I, I have some time. You know, I, I may not be the, the perfect uh, you know, perfect person with a perfect life, but I feel like I have the capability of showing up for someone. So I applied and got matched with a young man who was uh, eight and he is now almost 15. Can you uh, explain to us, because because Aaron, you, you know, you joined this as a young guy yourself, you, you know, you're, and, and you've got time on your hands. And, you know, I think of myself as a young guy with time on my hands. And the thing I was most interested in signing up for was a membership at a golf course. Uh, yet you volunteer you give your time and you're going to say, I don't want to take the selfish perspective here, but real talk. What was in it for you? What have you taken away from the mentoring experience? It's legitimately one of the most rewarding things I think I've done. I think that you, it can be intimidating before you start, right? You don't really know what to expect. You don't really know what it's going to be like. And it's really like I spend a couple hours, a couple times a month, going bowling, eating ice cream, cooking, building Lego. We built this little thing um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Is that a, that's like, an old rocket? Uh, yes, it's a Lego. Oh, yes, it's so a Lego cool. Saturn V rocket. Um, and it's just about like showing up and spending the time, right? And then you see this, this person that, you know, when we first met, he was pretty shy and, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say withdrawn, but, you know, quite quiet and just kind of blossoming and growing in that assertiveness and self-confidence and, and that sense of self. And it's so rewarding to think that, you know, maybe I had a small part in that. I want to read uh, some of these stats. I mean, to, to paint a clear picture for people on the importance of mentoring, as mentioned, January is mentoring month. And I'm not making much of a secret of it. I'm hoping that a few real talkers sign up to mentor. And I'm also hoping that a few real talkers that have young kids or know of young kids that could benefit from this program, reach out to get them involved as well. But let's take a look at some of the numbers here. Seventy eight percent of mentees who came from social assistance backgrounds did not require the same as adults, nearly four out of five. What about this? Over the past year, uh, this is per the Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and Area Society. So this is locally more than 2,500, 2,600 kids mentored over the past year. Boys who are mentored are twice as likely to believe that academic performance is important. Twice as likely. Uh, they're also two times less likely to develop so-called negative behaviors. In other words, it's a great way to keep people focused and on track. Girls who are mentored are four times less likely to bully others than those without a mentor, which is absolutely remarkable. I mean, Denisha, that alone, 
you know, a way to address bullying, let alone healthy habits, let alone positive relationships, let alone the self-confidence that you talk about. I mean, it really is remarkable. There's evidence that this works and that this investment of time is so well worth it. Absolutely. And there's more recent evidence during the pandemic that kids who are mentored are less likely to feel anxiety, less likely to feel isolated, um, more likely to, to deal with their mental health challenges, because I think all of us have been dealing with mental health challenges over the last two years, um, but kids more so. And what we're seeing in Edmonton specifically is children and youth who are going back and forth between at school in home learning, there's a big learning loss there that we're anticipating over the next three to five years. So not only is mentoring important now, but looking at the future, tutoring is gonna be just as important. And to be able to combine those two, I think is a real game changer in, in our community. Aaron, what does the time commitment look like for you? I mean, it feels like a bit of a tacky question, but I just wanna give people an understanding or an idea of what comes with the territory. Uh, in my case, it's usually a couple hours every week and a half, somewhere around there. I think sometimes the guideline they say is no more than once a week and no less than twice a month. So right. you get land kind of somewhere in there and it depends on your schedule and their schedule and that sort of thing. Right. So you kind of feel it out early on and when you're when you're available, when they're available and what works for both of you. But I haven't really found it particularly onerous. It's infrequent enough that you can find the time. People can learn more by checking out the website, albertamentors.ca. Now, as mentioned, of course, this is the last day of January. January's mentoring month, but it doesn't. I mean, through the year, uh, they're looking for people to become partners again at albertamentors.ca. Uh, before I thank you both for your time, Aaron, I have to ask you, I mean, you to me uh, are on the precipice of 100,000 Twitter followers. You got 18,000 right now and I'm watching you. You're the you're the smartest guy that most people have never heard of on Twitter. I uh, started following you and I think you had like 1500 followers. I've seen you jump to 18,000 over a number of months. There's something about your insight I mean, I, quite frankly, I'm just I'm, I'm just going to kind of flirt with you a little bit here. I, I kind of yeah. want to be close personal friends with you, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. The way that your brain works, the way that you communicate in quick, biting, effective fashion. There's something about it. I want to give people a couple samples. These are just from the past couple of days. On Saturday, you tweeted, I shouldn't have to say this, but only some of us are Nazis isn't a compelling defense. You've got about 18,000 people that have decided that's a pretty good tweet. And then, of course, just yesterday, you tweet, it's hard not to notice that many of the same folks that always talk about supporting the troops and honoring veterans just decided to use the National War Memorial as both a parking lot and a urinal. What do you make of your Twitter experience? This is relatively new. You're, you're, you're shooting to Twitter stardom, quite frankly. Utterly surreal. Um, I, I never thought I'd find myself in a situation where, and I hate even saying this, I have a platform, but, uh, oh, you have I, a platform, pal. And I think it's, it's validating, but I also think that it can be very dangerous to believe your own hype. And so I think that some humility goes a long way when you find yourself in this sort of situation and feeding back to our, the Joe Rogan conversation from earlier, I think the bigger the platform, the more responsibility to use it. Uh, responsibly and to to platform sources and people that are uh, reliable and evidence-based and things like that. And so I, I feel a lot of pressure to try and to talk about things that I think are important and matter and make sure that I'm I'm promoting things that make the world a better place, as it were. I love this. Uh, people are starting. This is like hipsters and music. Everybody on the live chat now is trying to establish who followed you first. 
you know, Kim says, I'm an Aaron OG. You know, she says he's a feminist. He's so very good at being kindly progressive and totally 100% on it every time. That from Kim. I just have time to read one. I mean, you're, you're talking about humility. I guess I better not read all the comments. But uh, in, in all seriousness, I'm such a big fan of both of you. Denise, I haven't seen you in person forever. And I'm looking forward to the next time that our paths cross. Uh, Aaron, you and I will have to grab a beer sometime. Lunch will be on me. Thanks to both of you for the mentoring that you've done, for being such incredible community contributors. And thanks for making time for us this morning on Real Talk. Thank you for having us. us. You got it. Positive Reflections is presented every Monday or our first show of the week by our friends at Kubi Energy. You can send us your positive reflection. We're going to integrate a few more interviews like this. The feel-good stories, the good news. We'll take your submissions by way of our email inbox, talk at ryanjesperson.com, or of course our hashtag, RealTalkRJ. What a day. Sounds like, depending on where you are in the country, if you're in our neck of the woods in Alberta, keep travel to a minimum if you can. We are getting hit with a weather event. And to our fellow Canadians in Ottawa, we wish you well. We'll continue to monitor that developing story, plus the Coots border crossing and everything else making news. Tomorrow kicks off Black History Month. Expect some incredible conversations. Sir Hoyle's working on those. And make it a great Monday, friends. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, merchandise operations Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.